You're listening to the Letters to My Younger Soul podcast, where the authors from the book and invited guests continue the conversations to their soul. Welcome to another Letters to My Younger Soul podcast, The Conversations. Today, I have um, a very special guest with me, another one of our co-authors, Natasha Sampson. Hi, Natasha. Good evening. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, You are one of the um, 40 authors, as well as a dear friend who joined us on the uh, Letters to My Younger Soul um, project. I feel like we were cheating a little bit because um, we were having a bit of a conversation before we started officially recording and it was getting quite meaty. But I want to start off by saying I've introduced you as Natasha Sampson. Do you know if your name Natasha has got a meaning? Um, Yes, it does have a meaning. I think it was born from the name Natalia. I think Natasha itself is Russian, but its root name, I think, comes from Natalia, um, which I believe when you break it down, I think, in Latin has um, some links to um, something like to be born again or it's been a long time actually since I've looked at it, but I, I do remember as quite a new Christian having a look because prior to um, uh, giving my life to Christ, I never really thought about names being particularly important. And um, I was reading in scripture uh, uh, the, the, uh, a story of a, a mother who named her son based upon the woes that she'd experienced bringing him into the world. And, oh, dear. You know, <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, actually, how important is it to, to know um, why you're calling your child the name that you're calling them? Because actually you can be proclaiming things over their lives. So I did, I, I raced off, but that's nearly 20 years ago. So forgive me, but I, I do recall vaguely that it it it's its root comes from I think it's Natalia and I believe in Latin it had some reference of kind of to be born again which I thought was quite exciting um I like to ask that question because I want to see if the names um are 
you can see the name being evident or played out in that person's life or if they really reflect their name. And, you know, you didn't disappoint. Um, and I can probably be a bit cheeky in this interview because I know you so well. You know, when she started to audience, when she started talking about when you break it down to the Latin and the root, and, and I said, it's just typical of Natasha to have multiple layers. Can't just be one simple <laughs> Some one simple thing, no, it has to have multiple layers to it. And I'm sure as the interview goes on, you'll see what I'm talking about. But um again, we were kind of cheating because we um started talking a little bit before and you were going into just how you were quite a feminist when you were younger. I know I interrupted you, but do you think you can pick up from where you were going there? I would say um uh, certainly, I think in my kind of late teens, early twenties, I would ca- I would categorise myself as a raging feminist. I mean, for me, it was all about sticking it to men, you know, <laughs> and demonstrating that I could do whatever they could do, and I could do it better because I had come from a, uh, a quite you know, a family background where let's just say my my father wasn't particularly helpful um, in the wider scheme of things that I've witnessed my mum really single-handedly raising the family and having to overcome a lot of obstacles and barriers. And so I've become particularly distrusting or distrustful of men, but, um, but I was also acutely aware of some of the kind of societal pressures and, um, uh, and looking at constructs that exist within society. So um, genderism being one of them and this idea of, you know, certain roles for women and certain roles for men and what you could do and what you couldn't do. And actually what I seen was, for example, I remember really vividly getting my first ever flat and my mum coming with her two female friends, you know, who I called auntie and um, they were really fantastic aunties to me and the three of them renovating my my flat you know and there wasn't a man in sight um occasionally my uncle as well would come and help but and and he's been a tremendous help over the years but the the three that I would always remembered was my mum and her two female friends and the three of them there wasn't anything that I needed doing in my home that they wouldn't just give it a go at doing tiling painting you know that would just let's just let's just try and do this because they were all used to as three women they were used to and had grown up in an environment where men couldn't be relied upon and um so that that actually unfortunately and I say unfortunately because whilst I appreciate the strength that that can bring um it gave me a really warped sense of identity because I uh, I I kind of assumed the burdens of generation and generation of disappointment and so rather than me then looking to a relationship and union as being an opportunity for you to grow together and to support one another I was really you know focused on defying society's kind of views rather than looking at how corrupted those those the 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 views are or indeed how traumatic those experiences have been because the world is a very broken world and so I just became part of the problem instead of becoming part of the solution you actually contributed two letters 
And one of them in particular was about um, your experiences with your sex and your views on sex as you were growing up. And sharing as much as you feel comfortable sharing, what do you think was maybe the most um was there just one significant um, factor or were there several factors that gave you the outlook that you had? And what was that outlook? So just for anybody perhaps who hasn't read your letter, just briefly tell us what your outlook was in the letter and, and, and what things do you think impacted that outlook towards sex as you, as you aged? Well, I mean, I think they're linked to what we were just talking about. And I, can I start off by saying actually the, the book and for me the writing of letters is so cathartic it's such a healing experience and but when I was in the project when we were writing one of the things that was really overwhelming for me was actually having the opportunity to and and, and you know all of the other women having an opportunity to actually look back mm. from where we've come from and you know, we can read lots of books and we can theorise it and we can understand why we are where we are now. But the benefit of hindsight is a wonderful thing. It didn't really help me back then. So uh, in answer to your question, I I'm looking back on it now and I'm, I'm, I'm using the opportunity. I think for me, the letter, uh, the letters I wrote, I wanted an opportunity to speak into the lives of others that might have been, that might now be experiencing what I was experiencing then with mm -hmm. the benefit of knowledge that I have now, but they might not have that knowledge. And I think, so what, what, what influenced my, my outlook? I think a couple of things. I think one was my views of men and, and that of them not being trusted. Um, and so therefore it was very much a very worldly view in that, um, take what you can get in order to just make yourself feel better, you know? So I was just looking for uh, things to, to feel better about myself, feel better about um, my low self-esteem really. And I think the low self-esteem came from a body image perspective. So it's, I, I very, I separated intellectually. I felt on top of the world, you know, because I had been told you can achieve anything when you set your mind to it. Mm. But I belonged to a family of, um, and I would say fattists, a family of fattists. And I, let's call it what it is, right? It's a podcast. Family might get to hear this podcast. And if you do, family, I love you terribly. But we are fattists, okay? And I remember an uncle of mine saying to me when I was about 12, oh, you're so, you'd be so, you're pretty, you know, but you'd be so much prettier if you lost some weight, and that was pretty much. I can't much imagine the that you were that big at twelve. Um, I was about a size twelve, I think, at the time when he said it. Maybe, possibly, going on to a size fourteen. And so he said, you know, if you lost a little bit of weight. And at the time, I was also. Um, I mean, I was always a very curvy child, you know. So you had a decent bust and stuff, and size size bust. So it, it, I always looked kind of more more mature for my age which is interesting now because I actually don't think I look my age now. I mean, I look younger than my age mm -hmm. and well, people always say I look younger than my age. So it's kind of the Lord has just suspended time somewhere, right? You know, <laughs> oh, I got crazy. To 30 and he just went, Oh, just stop right there for a little while. But, um, but yeah, certainly when I was younger, I think my shape made me look a bit older than I actually was. And, um, and so in our family, it was very much, if anything, more than a size eight, you know, people start to have conversations. And I remember at, um, I think I was about 17 and I stopped smoking. 
and that led to me gaining weight. And so I very quickly went from like a size 14, 16 and started to kind of push upwards to a size 18. And one of my cousins said, oh, what's happened? How come you, you know, you've put on so much weight? And I said, oh, I gave up smoking, thinking that, you know, it was something to be really proud of, you know, that I've given up smoking. And she went, oh, no, start again. No, you know, start <laughs> don't you just love that type of advice (laughs) yes because of course it was far better for me to be smoking and but be skinny than to be fat and um and healthy uh well for my cardiovascular system to be healthier um Mm. because of course I wasn't filling it with nicotine and inhaling smoke daily so but anyway uh, I that was that was the life I existed in and so we, I, I, I always felt, and even my mum, I remember my mum going on an apple diet. Mum, I love you. I know you're going to be listening to this, but I, my mum, and that's why I talked earlier about generational things because I yes, now as an adult. Yeah, it's it's generational. So I know that my mum had the same pressures. She was listening to the same comments, you know. And so obviously when you have children and you gain weight and all of a sudden that weight's coming from nowhere, you've got people, oh, what's happening? How come you're putting weight on? Where'd you go? And you start to feel this tremendous pressure that you've got to lose weight. So it was nothing. My mum never said anything to me directly. And that's the interesting thing. I cannot recall my mum uh, as a child saying to me, you need to lose weight. But what I do remember is her trying to lose weight and, and doing everything within her power to move from a size 18 because that was humongous, you know. And so um, it, it stood to reason then that that, that you, I, I must be because I, I'm now bigger, you know, than, than that. So there's something wrong. And um, and of course, you you get what you you put out. So I'm putting out that kind of low self-esteem and that's who you attract. You attract people that also have a low self-esteem. And, and, and I think you create that dysfunctionality together. So I just ended up in a relationship with somebody that um, would often make very mean and hurtful comments about my size. And so it just reinformed that, that kind of view. Um, and so for me, I followed the world's kind of, um, the world's promise that if you just allow yourself to not care about anyone else and you just appease yourself, you will feel great. And so that's what I I did, you know, it's, yeah, I'm just, I just want to feel great. So what's going to allow me to feel great? But thankfully, I mean, I remember actually at one point, trying to um I, I had a friend of mine uh, who we were very good friends at the time and she said yeah let's not bother with relationships you know let's just let's just think the way the men can do it why can't we do it and I thought yeah that's such a good idea isn't it and then I very quickly realized that that just didn't suit me at all because the reality of it is is that I was I, my head was in that space because I was really seeking wholeness and healing talks um, very passionately there and I wanted to find out if it's that or if there's something else that makes you feel very inspired or like your best self um I think my best self is found in the bosom of my creator I think to be honest 
that I know that might sound very um, poetic, but the reality of it is, is that Natasha has warts, you know, just like anybody else has warts. I have strengths and I have gifts just like anybody has, has strengths and has gifts. But um, the, the reality of it is if you take um, uh, a monkey and throw it into the sea, you're not going to see its strengths in the same way that you would see that monkey if you put it at the bottom of a tree. Mm. And the difference simply in environment and circumstance can help you to blossom. And so for me, my, my question is always, Lord, where do you want me? What should I be doing? Where should I be? And actually desiring to hear that and to go there. Um, and, I, and, I, and I also really wish to empower other women to be able to do that too, because, you know, life is seasons. And yes, speaking to, I remember as a, a foster carer, as a single um, woman fostering and having children, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I've really just given me an insight into how single mothers or single parents, single fathers, anyone that trying to function and to run a family, losing that sense of yourself and just, mm. you know, really struggling to even be able to hear anything because you're so tired and so exhausted. Um, and I think often in life, we just get so busy that we forget or we don't have the time or we don't have the capacity to go back to basics and say, okay, where should I be? Because we're too busy firefighting, you know? Um, so I think the best version of myself is somebody that can use the relationship that I have with God to help people find who they are. Wow, that's really powerful and very encouraging. I um, wanted to ask you, because um, I, again, alluded to it at the beginning of the conversation about your multifaceted life. You talked um, very much about how, um, you know, your experiences as a child made you a raging, as you said, raging feminist. And you decided that whatever men could do, you were going to do. And as a result, you wear multiple um, hats. Um, I, Wanted to ask, first of all, what are those hats? And just, I'd like to remind you that this is just a half an hour interview. <laughs> <laughs> so what are those hats? And if, would you have done anything? Um, you've got this career path now, but would you have done anything differently um, when you were younger? So what, so tell us your multiple hats and would you have changed any of that? Um, multiple hats. Okay, so I'm a qualified and registered social worker. Um, I undertake uh, assessments for various different local authorities, usually court-appointed assessments for things like special guardianships and stuff. Or I do sometimes as well do mainstream fostering assessments, so assessments of people that want to become foster carers. Um, I have also... Um, been doing a role with the local authority chairing child protection conferences and reviewing um uh the 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 kind of the care plans of children that are being looked after by the local authority 
Um, I come from a commissioning background, though, so I've done quite a lot around housing-related support services and um, developing strategies and policies for local authority to make sure that they've got good standards of housing um, for, for people that have additional support needs as well. Um, and no doubt I will continue to do that work on a consultancy kind of basis. Um, I'm a small landlord. Um, I got involved in property a few years back. And so I still do that and just manage a very small portfolio. Um, and I come from a performing arts background. So I had initially trained in performing arts. So uh, a few years ago, I was still doing various bits of um, professional performance stuff not really as much now I am a worship leader at church so I do still sing um and occasionally write but um but I'm not doing that as much now what um, were you writing um so well songs um so songwriting right. which I think is a good form of kind of just personal expression though I have absolutely no desire to uh be in the top Beyonce no no I really don't I love the cathartic nature of um of this of 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 music and of production and of writing writing I mean I've I started writing a book about 25 times if I could merge them all together they'd probably make one manuscript now but um I, I think it has such a wonderful way of touching and reaching and changing lives. Absolutely. Um, last year I started uh, day trading. So I kind of dabble a little bit in that as well. I think it's good to have multiple income streams and sources. So um, would I have done it? Would I, have, I think, you know, I do think that I, I got very poor careers advice when I was young and um, I attended a school that, would have, I mean, I now know that at the time when I was at secondary school, it was an inadequate school by Ofsted standards. And, um, you know, when I think about it now, with what was happening at home versus the quality of school that I attended, things uh, were never really going to look particularly rosy for me. And so I always really underachieved, I would say. Um, I still attended university by sheer will. And uh, the first time I went, I was caught up in that very dysfunctional relationship. Um, and so I, I ended up having to work full time in my final year. So I came away with a 2-1. Um, but I remember at the time thinking I should have got a first, but I, I was so preoccupied with trying to survive, you know, um, and trying to put myself through uni. So a few years ago, I went back to do a master's and that's why I went to do the master's in um, social work because I had worked in um, social care for such a long time, I thought I may as well actually get a formal qualification, but I'd made a, a, a commitment to myself because it was the first time I'd ever been in education as a, as a stable adult, you know, married the support of a husband who was more than willing to cheerlead me on and make sure that you know the the responsibilities in the house were covered so that I could get the best out of that experience and so I said I needed to come away with um a, a final grade that would reflect the fact that actually I always had the ability but circumstances 
had got in the way. And I don't, that's not to make an excuse, but I just think often there's children like me that were born into, you know, housing estates and various levels of dysfunctionality and stuff and don't have access to the highest levels of qualifications and, and education experiences and stuff. And actually we leave school with, you know, pretty lousy GCSEs, but that's not a reflection on our intellectual capacity or ability. And I was also going to so, say that it's not, um, not to you know, obviously people should reach for the stars, you know. Yeah. But, um, let's not undermine, you know, the achievement of getting any degree. You know, degrees are hard work and they take a lot of focus. Um, and especially if you do have lots of um, competing issues going on around you, it's not easy to put your head down and string any essay together. So, Definitely. you know, well done to yourself and anybody else that's achieved a degree, even if it was a 2-2. You know, it's 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 a degree under your belt and it's a, it's a level of study that not mm. everybody gets to um, attain. So it's definitely I was talking to somebody about this recently, actually, um, because they'd got a two two and they were saying, oh, yeah, but I only got a two two. And I'd said exactly that because the circumstances that they were living with at that time, you know, I, if it was me, I don't know whether I actually would have even finished it at, at that time. So, but I think this is a very, this is a personal reflection in terms of the reasons why I wanted to, to get that, the, the highest possible outcome for my master's. And I did, I achieved a distinction, but it was very personal, not because I think that that is the only way of success, but rather I wanted to prove that a little girl that had come from those kind of circumstances, actually, had I have been better supported, I could have been at any of those red brick universities. I could have been at Oxbridge. And it's circumstances that uh, led to me not being there rather than my innate ability. And I believe that there are many of us, many of those little girls and little boys that were, you know, are living in homes with a whole host of, of challenges that are not even shown that path mm. because it's assumed that they can't make it in on that path. And I do think it raises some questions around whether or not we should even have such path. I am... Um want to ask you if there has been a book because obviously this is a podcast that's been led off of a book it's off, come off the back of a book are, are there any other books that has influenced <laughs> you in the same way that we hope that this book will influence others yes I think um the two books my mother myself was a fantastic book and Who also the dance of anger I don't know you know I read it many years my ago my mother um, myself yeah, my mother, myself, and um, and the dance of anger. Those two books were life changing for me in my twenties, um, and I I would say that um, I I certainly had a huge issue with anger. Right, I was angry. I was so angry, and um, the dance of anger really helped me to understand that that anger without being channeled and managed and dealt with was going to basically keep me in bondage. Um, so that was a, a really powerful book, but um, I would say, I mean, there's lots of different books that I've read over the years that I think have helped at different stages in my, di in my, in my journey. Um, 
Yolanda Van Sant wrote a, a, a couple of books that I remember reading when I was younger. And one of them, in the meantime, mm. is something that I always kind of think about. Um, I'm very good at planning. I'm very good at making sure, you know, the reason that I've got those properties is because from my 20s, I was already thinking about what I needed to have in place so that by the time I had children, which I had intended I wasn't having until my 30s, that I could then not have to work and I had an income source that would allow me to be at home. Everything about my life has been very kind of strategically placed. Um, and it's not always ended up the way that I've necessarily planned it, but I am an over planner, you know, and one of those people that kind of likes to sit down and think about, mm, if I take that path, well, mm, what's that going to look like? What, you know, further down the line, 10 years time. And as you know, and you know me very well, I, you know, I do your head in with. Yes. Uh, I didn't want to say, because I feel like that's a bit too personal for this podcast. But yes, as soon as you brought it up, yes. <laughs> I'm joking. I am. I am the quintessential planner. And, um, you know, encourage anybody to think about, because life has unintended consequences. You make a decision and then you're dealing with the consequences of that decision 10 years down the line. And I see that because I was, I was dealing with the consequences of decisions that I made at 19, 20, 21, whilst I was 30 you know? And so because of that, I now try to make decisions that I, I know are going to help, uh, leave a legacy for my children, for example, when I'm not here. But, um, in the meantime, um, I, I enjoyed that in particular because yeah, I'm always busy planning for the next and not necessarily enjoying, you know, the thing is if you're constantly waiting to get to a destination and then, but I realized, I, for example, I spent all of my twenties planning, um, to be in a position that I could be financially secure in middle age. And recently I suddenly realized that I'm now middle-aged. Like, when did that happen? <laughs> How did I arrive at this place? You know, you kind of get to 45 and think, oh, you're not 30 anymore. So the same kind of thoughts and attitudes that I was having at 30 well, at what point do you start to enjoy what you've managed to acquire rather than trying to kind of still empire build? You know, at what mm -hmm. point do you stop and say, OK, I might want differently, but let me enjoy what I've got now, too, mm -hmm. you know, and just take a moment and take your foot off of the gas. So, yeah, that was a very good book in the meantime. But I would honestly say, and I'm not saying this just because it's a letters to my younger soul podcast, but I can honestly say that I think as a book, it's wonderfully inspiring. I think on many different levels, because it, for me, it provokes a level of thought about the ability, the innate ability that we have to overcome. Mm. And so even if someone's letter doesn't necessarily speak to you in that it's, that's not your circumstance, what it speaks to is resilience. Yes. And I think that Sometimes it's important to take your eye off of your situation because your situation, you know, the saying, you can't see the wood for the trees. Sometimes your situation can become so overwhelming that you forget that actually somewhere in there, deep down inside of you, you have the answer to get out of whatever situation you're in and carve a new life for yourself. And say that to say that life is all about seasons, you know, and 
what you don't have in one season doesn't necessarily mean oh. that you will never have. Oh, we've got a guest. Yes, Hello, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a podcast. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think it's very, um, yeah, it's, I, I would just encourage anybody, buy the book if you haven't yet bought the book, buy the book, have a read of it. But before you read it, pray that actually, because people are sharing some really deep stuff and, and it can be quite overwhelming emotionally, I think, to read some of those um, things. But if you read it with eyes to see, you know, read it with the intention of being reminded of the power that lives and works within within us, within each and every one of us, that I think it becomes like a fuel to to break free and, and do differently and to celebrate and to embrace the many achievements that we've all, you know, you don't necessarily have to own properties and have bundles of money sometimes that achievement is actually just being able to look in the mirror and smile and know that you're beautiful I um, want to just thank you for that very um, glowing endorsement for the book it's it was a year very well spent if I say so for myself because what we've ended up with is exactly what you've described okay so oh just to wrap up a little bit and or not wrap up a little bit wrap up <laughs> but to kind of bring us up a little bit it's been such a it is such a serious um and topic and can be quite um heavy at times but we know that um there are some moments of joy in our younger former lives so one of two last questions that I'd like to ask you is what's your favorite childhood memory there is one in particular that that really stands out to me. We didn't have much money growing up and um, somebody had bought my mum a KFC and that was something we just didn't, we never, you know, we didn't have fast food and stuff. And um, my mum, I remember my mum waking me up and saying that um, me and my my cousin who was, shared, we used to share a bedroom, that we could share some of the chips, you know, from the KFC, just being so excited that we were allowed to have, see, now I'm thinking about lots of different things, actually, that we were allowed to have some of these chips. Or when uh, one of my uncles took me, I was 10, it's for my birthday, put me in a nice pretty dress and took me to a restaurant it was the first time I'd ever been to a restaurant and just feeling so special you know being able to go to a restaurant yeah so there's quite I remember you talking about um your mum and the holidays that you used to have and that although they were never abroad again your mum was very um conscious of making sure that she took you away was it even to a caravan or something but every year you went yeah she wanted to at least give you that experience yes and and not just I mean there was times we couldn't go um even couldn't necessarily afford to go to a caravan or stuff but every holiday we would um school, every school holiday we would do things like mum would just make a pat lunch and um meet up with her friends and some of her siblings and their children and we would all go to Hyde Park you know and just have and and some people could afford to have like the Kit Kats and stuff and we couldn't afford those things you know I remember we'd have like tuna paste sandwiches and stuff and but my mum would make a point of just doing whatever she could on what little that we had you know and that's oh. you know I want to I, I want to just um add on to that you know for any 
just in case there's a mum who's struggling right now, you know, quite often, especially in today's day and age where we're surrounded by images on a far too frequent basis of these shiny, sparkly lives. And it's important, I think, for mothers to remember, you know, we talked again at the beginning about the impact of the things that are said or those that are not said. And I think it's important for for parents to recognise that even tuna paste sandwiches on a picnic in Hyde Park is a memory that your child might hold dear as they grow yeah. up. And I think sometimes, I, I know we're closing up, but I just, sometimes I, I think, and I, my mum and I often talk about this, that, you know, obviously my children have, have had the the benefit of us being able to take them on holidays and do all manner of things that, that we didn't have growing up. But I can honestly say I don't think that they appreciate what they've got in the same way that I appreciated what I had. Right. So final question. What's your favourite quote and why? Oh, I love the, and people say that it was Nelson Mandela's um, inaugural speech, but it wasn't his. I think in his speech, he was quoting someone else. Um, But where he talks about um, refusing to dampen your light um, I think that's a speech that I've got behind me. Oh, really? Well, please get it and read it. I love it's, it. It's actually um, Marianne Williamson, who's supposed to be the author. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, courageous, talented and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were born to to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Is that the one? That's it. Spot on. Thank you. Well, Natasha Sampson, thank you so much for um, joining me today for this podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. And despite um, our relationship, it was still very refreshing to hear you speaking today and to, and, uh, hearing some of the things that you were sharing thank you so much for being um open and honest and transparent as usual you've really given us a lot to think about i want to um take this opportunity to wish you all the best in your future not because i'm not going to see you but just because it's an opportunity to do so you know i've heard a lot about people saying let me give you your flowers now so i congratulate you on turning your life around and making it what it is today i um congratulate you on making it out of the dysfunctionality and carving out some sort of functionality in your life we know that we are continuing to be perfected with every day that passes and we won't be perfect until Christ returns but we're working on it so I just want to congratulate you for every step that you're taking I hope and pray that you'll continue to achieve inspire educate and encourage many others and yourself and your children that you will indeed leave a lasting legacy in this world and it will be be beyond um, this book and um, I hope that 
yeah, you'll have other other doors and avenues will be open to you to share um, your very inspirational life. Thank you once again for spending this time with me today and for agreeing to this interview. Thank you for having me. Letters to My Younger Soul, the book is available now online wherever they sell books. And to join us in gifting a book or books to organisations around the world that work with women young and older, visit our gift a book page at www.eivpublishing.com. Thank you. Let's talk about